Hello, friends. It's me, the president of Chickenlandia. Did you know that I have a new book that is now available for purchase? You heard that right. It's called Let's All Keep Chickens, The Down-to-Earth Guide to Natural Practices for Healthier Birds and a Happier World. It's now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, and more. For more information on how you can grab your copy, just click the link in the show notes. It's so exciting, I can barely handle it. Okay, on with the show. Welcome to Chickenlandia's 100% friendly podcast, Bok Talk. This show will help you learn all about how backyard chicken keeping can be fun, entertaining, and stress-free. Here's your host, the president of Chickenlandia! Hello, friends! Welcome to Chickenlandia, and welcome to Bok Talk, your 100% friendly backyard chickens show. We are going to talk about how to get your chickens through a cold snap. I have gotten a lot of messages about this this week because uh, it's where I am right now. We are definitely going through a cold snap. I think we're through the worst of it, but got lots of messages. And I also sent some messages out because I was panicking. (laughs) So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And we do have a listener question that we are going to answer today. And if you have a question that you would like to submit to possibly be answered on Bok Talk, you can go to my website, welcometochickenlandia.com, go to the contact section and click ask a chicken question. There's like a little drop down menu. Um, And I can't answer every question. I'm so sorry. I do look at all of them, um, sometimes not in a a timely manner because I get lots of questions, lots and lots of questions. So I I apologize if I don't get back to you, but give it a try and you might might get answered on Bok Talk. So there you go. (laughs) So I have two announcements I want to make today. The first is, of course, about my favorite chicken company called My Favorite Chicken. And you can find them at myfavoritechicken.com. They are your one-stop shop for all things chicken, including feed. Scratch it. They have scratch and peck feed, which is my favorite. They have chicken supplies. They have cute chicken stuff like purses and aprons and stuff like that. And they also have one of my favorite things, which is a... Uh, chicken first aid kit that's like all put together and it's really cute too um, but it's got like th- all the like big necessities in it so uh, go check them out myfavoritechicken.com and my second announcement is of course about my course now maybe you didn't buy it for Christmas for yourself and you want to so you should do that now <laughs> it is called backyard chickens 101 a chicken course for everyone. And you can find it at course.welcometochickenlandia.com. It is the perfect gift to give yourself for baby chick season because that is coming up and spring is coming up. So whether or not you have chickens now or you're going to get chickens, it can help you to get started or can help you to get better at it and have less stress and feel more confident about it. So 
that is what I encourage you to do. Just go check it out. You can go to my website. You can find it through my website or go, go to course.welcometochickenlandia.com. Okay, so the chicken story I'm going to tell you guys today is about, it's about me and it's about when the teacher becomes the student, which is what happened to me this week. <laughs> so uh, these past few days in Chickenlandia have been rough. And if you live up here in the Pacific Northwest, you know what I'm talking about. It has been really cold and like uncharacteristically cold. The temperatures took a really big drop last night. And, you know, this is a fairly mild area. So we're just not used to this and the chickens aren't used to it. Uh, last night, the low was three degrees, three degrees. So that is that's very cold where I live. Um, and I was stressed because... I have a lot of special needs chickens. A lot of my chickens are rescues. A lot of them are very old. Uh, some of them have chronic illnesses that they've, you know, they've had since they came to me or they've had for many years. I just adopted two tiny, I mean, they're almost like ceramicized frizzles. Um, and they're not, uh, the person I got them from, they were loved. They were loved from where I got them and they're doing great. If the little girl is watching, cause there was a little girl that, uh, was kind of sad to see them go, but, uh, they're doing great, but their feathering is very sparse. They're just not bred very well. They're from a hatchery and they're, they're like tiny, they're runts and they're almost, it's, it's probably they were bred like frizzle to frizzle because they don't look very good. They're not frazzles. If you guys know what that means, <laughs> it's a very poorly bred frizzle, um, but they don't look great. They're, they barely have feathers on their heads. It's just like, you know, I'm done trying to get them there. Okay. Um, so most people don't have flocks like mine, but some people do, but generally people have like cold hardy chickens that are going to do just fine through weather like this. But I was actually kind of panicking because this is my first winter here. And I've literally never been, it's never been this cold. What for the whole time that I've lived in Bellingham and for the, and definitely for the whole time that I've had chickens, it's never been this cold. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what do I do? There are safe panel heaters in the coop, and I'll talk about that in a bit. But they don't really heat up like the whole coop. They're radiant heaters, so chickens have to be kind of near them so they can warm up a little bit. Um, and since I have such a mixed flock, there's chickens that they just don't, they, they just don't go near the heaters because they're pretty low on the, on the, um, you know, on the, in the pecking order. So I, I was just like, Oh, it's going to get really cold. What do I do? So I called a friend of mine or a message, a friend of mine, who's a breeder. And I was like, look, I've got these frizzles. They seem okay, but should I bring them in? And she was like, you know what? I brought all my ceramas in because I actually lost a couple of them. Uh, because it got so cold and I was like, Oh God, like that's the reality of it. Like, you know, people will say all the time, you know, there's never a reason to heat the coop, but they don't take into account that there are many different flocks, lots of variation out there. People are in many, many different climates that are keeping chickens. So, you know, it's just not a black and white issue. 
But anyway, the reason I'm telling you this whole story. Oh, and I messaged the Chickenlandia presidential advisor too. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna get some panel heaters. I don't know what to do. And even with the panel heaters, I had to bring in the frizzles. I have two, the two frizzles. I have one um, Polish frizzle that she's been, you know, chronically up and down. She was ne- has never been that well uh, since she's been with me, and she was very sickly when she was a baby. <laughs> So I brought her in. I ended up bringing Eber and Bubblicious in, my two silky roosters. <laughs> and let's see. Actually, Philippe stayed out. But yeah, I ended up with like several chickens in the garage because it just got it just got very cold out there. And they're vulnerable chickens. So you just do you do what you gotta do. But I did have a moment of stress. And I guess I'm telling you all this to say that even I, you know, as someone that has literally been teaching about chickens for over 10 years, I have my moments when I need help. And I have my moments when I get stressed out and I need to like kind of bounce off somebody else to kind of get some clarity on the situation. And I knew what I needed to do, but I needed to like hear it from someone else. And it was a rough night. I was awake at like four o'clock in the morning and I have a, a, an app where I can tell the thermostat, you know, I can tell how cold it is in the coop. And I was like looking at it like, oh my gosh, it's so cold out there. <laughs> but they all got through it fine. They were all okay. I still have some chickens in the garage, but they're getting to getting through it. And in Chickenlandia, we can all learn together. That's the important part. And I'm I'm so glad to have the support I do. And I hope that all of you have a support system set up as well. All right. So here is the question that I got just a few days ago. It is from Travis and he says, we are huge fans of your YouTube channel. Thank you. (laughs) And live right down the street from you. Cool. Uh, We just started keeping chickens this year and it's been a year of extremes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Hot floods and now cold. Yeah, like we just had crazy flooding like a couple of weeks ago. We had just wild flooding. And now we have this. We've been watching the weather carefully and some foreca- forecasts are now calling for below zero temperatures next week. So he sent this last week. Um, and I don't think it's going to get quite that cold. Thank goodness. What is your plan to protect your chickens from the cold? Well, I, t- I just told you my plan was to panic, <laughs> but you don't have to because we're going to talk about it. We only have six hands and no supplemental heat, though the coop is protected from the wind and insulated. We ordered a radiant panel heater, but we're not sure if that would even be enough. Any thoughts would be greatly ap- appreciated. Keep up the good work. So, Yeah, Travis, my plan was offering some supplemental heat in the coop, which really doesn't, you know, the panel heaters, especially with the big coop that I have, it only raises the temperature just a few degrees. It kind of just takes the edge off. Um, So that's what I did. And then I brought my most vulnerable chickens inside. And like I said before, this is not something that most people need to do. Uh, most of the time, there is really not a reason to supplement heat in your coop. Now, it depends on a few things, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But um, it's usually, if you can get away with not having supplemental heat, it's actually better for your chickens 
as long as they're allowed to acclimate for the, you know, for the environment that they're in, they're allowed to acclimate to the change in weather, then generally chickens that are allowed to do that, they're going to end up being more resilient in the long run. And remember, they're wearing a down coat and they're like huddled up against each other at night. So they're really kind of heating up like a unit. They're, they're like a, a big heater with several components. <laughs> um, and it's usually probably about five to 10 degree, to 10 degrees warmer inside the chicken coop. That depends on um, how the chicken coop is designed and how many chickens you have. So, but there are some things that you can do to help them to make them more comfortable. So let's talk about that. Um, make sure that you have good vent. This is like super counterintuitive. And I talk about this a lot, um, but some people haven't heard it. So I'm going to say it again. <laughs> make sure that you have good ventilation, which I know is counterintuitive, but no drafts where the chickens are roosting. So you don't want like this really drafty coop where your chickens are going to be like, you know, really cold because they're having cold air hit them all night long. You don't want that, but you do want your coop to be well ventilated. And you can achieve this by putting the ventilation higher above where they roost. That's usually how chicken coops are designed now. And the reason why you want good ventilation is because moisture is actually more dangerous for your chickens than the cold temperatures. Moisture is what can cause frostbite. It can lead to respiratory issues and other problems. So, of course, if there are huge snowdrifts, which we had at our place last night, it was just, it was so windy that a whole bunch of snow got into the coop because I had the windows cracked a little bit. And then I was like, oh my gosh, snow, it was so windy. And that never happens. Like when it rains, it's not like water gets into the coop if I have the windows open. But it was a blizzard. And so snow got into the coop. So I did have to close up most of the ventilation in the coop last night. But that those are the things that you kind of have to, you know, decide when the situation is before you. Do you decide what the best thing is to do? But in general, the more ventilation or you need to have the appropriate amount of, of ventilation to keep your coop nice and dry because the moisture is what is dangerous for your chickens in general. And then the other thing that you really want to do is if you know that there is a cold snap coming up, clean your coop. And if you have deep litter going on, that's great. You, you know, you don't have to mess with that. If it's going well, just leave it. That's going to help to heat up your coop because composting material generates heat. Um, I love doing deep litter, but right now I'm not doing it because I have, you know, I have this new coop. I'm still figuring out the moisture level in the coop. I have had a little bit of a problem with ammonia. So it's kind of been this battle of me figuring out exactly what I need to do for my specific climate. And it's like this mini climate because it was completely different at my other house. And my other house is 20 minutes away. So that's, that's how much it can, that that's how much variation you can have. So when people make blanket statements of like, you know, um, you should never, ever heat your coop and you're never, you know, you should never do this and deep litter always works. And then, you know, it's like, they're just not taking into account that there's many different situations and things are different for every climate. So but the reason why you want to clean out your coop 
if you know that there is going to be some cold temperatures coming up is because you don't want to have to deal with ammonia and your chickens are going to be in the coop more than they normally are. So there's going to be more droppings in there. It's going to get dirtier. And you just want to start out with that clean snake, uh, clean slate. And you don't want to have to clean your coop when it's three degrees outside. <laughs> it's like, I really don't want to do that. And I know you don't either. Um, of course, you're going to want to make sure that your chickens have plenty of food and water. Now, the water is kind of the hard part because water freezes. Um, I did do a video a couple weeks ago about, what is it called? Stop your chicken's water from freezing with these weird hacks. <laughs> and I talk about, not all, I show, you know, because I use heated water bowls, like dog bowls. And that works really well for me. But some people don't have electricity out in their coop. So I talk about things that you can do. If you don't have electricity out in your coop and you're dealing with freezing waterers, because that's just like the worst. So you, you can check that out. I will put that link in the description and in the show notes. But definitely you want to make sure that they have access to clean water and plenty of food. You can make some nice treats for them. Uh, a nice fatty treat is fine for in the winter. I do have a video where... I make these suet, I, I call it suet, but it's actually not suet because it's made from coconut oil and suet is actually, technically it's animal fat, but they are like suet treats for chickens and they're homemade ones and they're really healthy because they, they have like herbs in them and they have their chicken feed in them and a little bit of mealworms, which is a good, good boost for them. So I do have a video with that recipe and I'll also put that video in the description and in the show notes for you guys. But you can give them like scrambled eggs, you know, whatever you have left over for breakfast. You can definitely give them mealworms and uh, grubs. Some people like to do cracked corn. You can, you know, you can give them oatmeal, but you don't want to, you really don't want to overdo the oatmeal because there can't, it's binding. So there, you can end up with some digestive issues if you overdo it. And also you do not want to feed them anything that's really wet at night, like oatmeal. And you know, they'll just go crazy eating the oatmeal. And what can happen is they can get it on their face and they can get it on their comb and then they're in danger of getting frostbite because they're going to bed with like wet faces and combs. And that happened to a friend of mine. That's why I know about it. So uh, if you're going to give it to them, give it to them in the morning and then you can give them another little snack at night. But make sure they clean it all up because you don't want to leave snacks out in the winter because there's cold rodents looking for a buffet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and depending on the kind of breeds you have, and I think you told me, I, I, we talked back and forth. So I think, Travis, you told me that you, you told me your breeds and they were all pretty cold, hardy breeds. So I wasn't worried too much for you. I have heard mixed reviews about this, but I've actually been doing it this year and it seems to be working really well. You can get some bag bomb or some Vaseline or some coconut oil. And if you have chickens with those big floppy combs, or if you have a rooster with a big, tall comb, you can rub some of that oil or Vaseline or bag bomb on their comb. And you can put some on their wattles too. And that will help to hopefully prevent frostbite. Okay, so it's just like, it's like a sealant. It's just going to keep the moisture 
out of that area so that they'll have a less less of a chance of developing that. So, you know, of course that has its limitations there. You know, if you are in an area where it's negative 40 for many, many, many days, then you may have to take uh, additional measures. And, and that brings me to my next uh, part that I'm going to talk about. And that is times you might want to supplement heat. Uh, And like I said, this is like, this is like, so controversial in the chicken keeping community. And the reason it is, is because every year there are coop fires and the coop fires are usually started by a faulty or maybe even not a faulty um, heat lamp. And, you know, those heat lamps, they get so hot. And if you can imagine what would happen if for some reason it's just not very secure it falls into the shavings, heat lamp plus shavings or straw or whatever substrate you're using. That's not a good situation. And there are, I mean, it's a reality that they are a fire hazard. Now, I hate saying that because, um, and I always say this, I always want to include this part because I understand that heat lamps are very accessible to a lot of people. They're just, they're cheap. And especially compared to these panel heaters, which don't get that hot and aren't going to make a big, huge change in the, in the coop temperature wise, they'll, they'll raise it up a little bit. You know, it's kind of like you have to evaluate your risk. And if you're going to use a heat lamp, then you just need to absolutely make sure that it is so secure. It's the securest thing you've ever secured. (laughs) And you want to also make sure that it stays really clean because even dust on it is a fire hazard. Okay. Um, But if you're dealing with extended periods of negative 30, negative 40 degrees, if you can, if you, and it depends on the kind of breeds you have. So there's definitely chickens that live in these conditions without supplemental heat. And they're de- they're cold hardy chickens. Their coops are are well designed for the area that they live in and they're doing absolutely fine. But if if you find yourself in a situation where you need to supplemental supplement heat, you can try and keep it above 15 degrees, negative uh, 15, that's probably like the threshold that I would recommend. And try and use safe supplemental heat, which would be, I like the, um, the sweeter heaters and yeah, I like the sweeter heaters, the cozy coops, like the chickens really have to be kind of up against it and probably the sweeter heater too, but they're, you know, they're radiant heaters. So chickens need to be kind of close to them. And what I have done in my coop is they're kind of, they're a little bit behind their roosts and they do okay with that. Of course, it always depends on what breeds you have. If you have exotic breeds or if you have um, frizzles that, you know, especially if they're poorly frizzled like mine, then you might have to supplement heat. So take that into consideration. Also, silkies, sometimes they don't do as well. Um, And ceramas, sometimes they just don't do as well in the cold. Now, I have always had ceramas and they do pretty well. But in this very cold snap that we just had, I did bring some of them in, like the older ones I brought them in. 
Um, if you have chickens that are very old or very young, so if you have chickens that are just newly feathered and they haven't acclimated really completely to the outside temperatures, you can't just throw them outside, especially during a cold snap. You could, you could lose them. So in that case, you might need to supplement heat safely, gradually adjust them to the temperatures outside or keep them inside during the day and you can put them outside keep them inside at night and you can put them outside during the day, depending on how cold the temperatures are. And of course, if you have super old chickens, like last year I had, they, they have both, both passed away, but I had um, one chicken that was 10 years old and one chicken that I don't even know. I think maybe she was 12. And last, last winter, whenever it got below freezing, I would bring them in. Um, And you know, if you have, sickly chickens, special needs chickens, you might have to bring them in or you might have to supplement heat, supplement heat. If you have, if you haven't been supplementing heat, but you're dealing with frostbite, you're dealing with respiratory issues, you're dealing with ammonia buildup and you, and you're dealing with too much moisture in the coop and you feel like you're just spinning your wheels trying to fix it. And in the meantime, your chickens are, you know, getting worse or having problems, go ahead and supplement, supplement heat. It's okay. And I know people will say, no, never do it. But th- this is one of those situations where you're just going to be stressed out. You know, I had a friend that she lives, I think it's in uh, Wisconsin. And she didn't, you know, she didn't have supplemental heat. She had cold, hardy chickens, but for whatever reason, and it probably had to do with the design of her coop, and her, you know, her climate, her particular climate where she was, she was just dealing with frostbite and respiratory issues over and over again. And so finally she was like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get put in some heat. And so she did that. Now, the other reason why I prefer if, if you can swing it, um, depending on how your temperatures are, I prefer the panel, the radiant heaters is because they don't heat up so much that it's a drastic difference between the outside and the inside. Because if you lose, if you lose power, you could end up with a a bad situation in the morning. Like if you have heat lamps going like more than one heat lamp going, that's going to heat your coop up pretty well, depending on the size of it. And if you lose that overnight and the temperature just drops like 20 degrees or whatever in your coop, you know, that can be a bad situation in the morning. So that's another thing that you want to consider. Uh, I wasn't too worried last night. And, and we, you know, the, the wind was just going last night. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I hope we don't lose power. But I wasn't as worried about it as I would be if I had like a, a an actual heater out there and not just like these panel radiant heaters, but like a heat lamp or heat bulb, a ceramic bulb of some kind you know, then I would have been really worried because if we, if, if I, if we would have lost our electricity, then that would be a huge drop for my chickens to deal with. So there's that. And, you know, these are all things that you just, you decide, okay, what are the risks I'm willing to take and what are the benefits and you weigh it and then you make your decision. And it doesn't have to be the same decision that someone else made or that someone told you on social media. It's just the right decision for you. Okay. And just, but just make sure that you keep fire hazard in mind 
and just safety at the forefront always. Okay. I am going to open up the chat now for questions. All right. A question from Amber from Michigan. How many years have you had chickens? I gosh, 11 years, 12 years, <laughs> 12 years. I think 12 years. I'll have to look. <laughs> I have to look at a calendar. I don't remember. I don't remember a time without chickens. No, I, I, you know, I mean, gosh, relative to many other chicken educators, you know, it's I, some people have had chickens in their family their whole life. For me, it skipped a generation, actually skipped kind of two generations. My great grandmother had them. Um, my grandmother did have them, but not not like my great grandmother did. Like she was, um, she was in the city in Guatemala and there were a lot of times when she couldn't keep them because of where they lived. But, and then my parents didn't have them. They, you know, when they immigrated here, they didn't get them. And then I just ended up with them and it was like, I don't know what happened. It became a part of my, a part of my DNA, part of my body, (laughs) basically. Oh, Brittany. Hi, Barger. How to help cure foul pox in my flock. So uh, foul pox is, you know, I I mean, I think it's pretty survivable. It depends on the type that they get. If they end up with wet pox, that's when it starts to get really dangerous. If you can find a, a vet local to where you are that can help you through it, that would, that would be best. But I think just supporting them with some extra nutrition, I would definitely get them on a good uh, vitamin, electrolyte, probiotic supplement. Make sure that if there's any that are struggling, you bring them inside. You can do the rest method on them. And I'll leave that. Uh, that uh, Basically, it's just like a guide to some TLC that you can give your chickens when they get sick. And I'll leave that in the description and in the show notes. And it's it's just about just getting them through it. It's like when, you know, when people used to get chicken pox. I got chicken pox when I was a kid. It was very uncomfortable, but I got through it. So, you know, if it's wet pox, then that's much more s- serious. If you can find a local veterinarian, of course, that would be your best case scenario to be working with a veterinarian. I'm not a veterinarian. So if you can do that, then that would be your best course of action. But I think in general, you just need to really support them, make sure they have the right d- nutrition, make sure they're not getting too cold or too hot. And if any are really struggling, you need to bring them inside and give them some extra care. Um, Allie asks, can you talk about getting rid of lice and mites, please? So, you know, the main thing that I tell people if they're dealing with lice and mites is that it is time, you know, that's kind of a sign from nature that it is time to reevaluate your practices and that's not to say that you're doing anything wrong because it literally happens to basically all of us. It's happened to me more than once. What usually happens is that one chicken will have an infestation and that chicken is likely compromised in another way. So they might be stressed. They might be sick. They might have some kind of injury. That's really when an infestation happens, when a chicken's needs are not being met and they are vulnerable. So sometimes if you have a sick chicken, you might find like mites all over it and be like, oh my gosh, this chicken must be sick because it's covered in lice or mites. But really what has happened is that chicken is sick 
And because it was sick, it got lice and mites. So definitely you want to make sure that your chickens have a stress-free life, that they have all the right nutrition, that they have enough space, that they're not, you know, there's not like a threat of predator attack or something going on. Uh, you just want them to to be happy and healthy. And usually in that situation, you might deal with mites and lice, but it won't be like this infestation that becomes very dangerous for your flock. If you are dealing with it, there's three products that I like. I like diatomaceous earth, especially for prevent, uh, prevention. And I do have a video about making your own dust bath. Um, I will leave that in the show notes and in the description. You can, if you, I mean, I, in my experience, it works. Some people say it doesn't work. That has not been my experience, but I have treated my chickens for an active case of mites and lice with diatomaceous earth. It takes a little bit longer. It might take more than two treatments. I usually do three treatments to get rid of, and you want to do them 10 days apart because you want to, you want to catch them at their, you know, you want to go with their life cycle. So you, once the new hatches happen, that's when you want to treat again. So I would wait about 10 days and then treat again. And so I will use diatomaceous earth and you also have to clean the coop and treat the coop. You can use pyrethrum. That's a good, it's, it's, you know, it's synthetic technically, but it's pretty natural. That's a good one. And I actually like to use the spray. Um, and there should be direction, you know, should come with directions on how to use it for chickens. And you can, you can usually also use it in the coop. And then there's also something called um, Elector, was Elector PSP. Is that what it's called? Chickenlandia Presidential Advisor, Elector PSP. And that is actually, um, it's an all natural product. It's made from bacteria, from the soil, and it's an insecticide. So, but it's, it's relatively safe for the environment and for the chickens. Not great for bees, but I think once it dries, it's okay. And also pyrethrum is not great for bees and diatomaceous earth is not great for bees. So you really want to keep these products local to what you're, you know, to where you're treating your chickens and your coop. I've seen people take diatomaceous earth and literally cover their entire run with it. And that's not, you know, I really don't recommend doing that because not only are you, you know, I mean, you may be getting rid of mites and lice, but you're also affecting the microbiome of your chicken yard. And that's not good. You you really want there to be balance in your chicken yard and in the soil. You want the soil to be healthy and all that. And you could be affecting not only your own ecosystem, but the ecosystem beyond your yard. So I don't recommend that. And all of these treatments, you want to treat the chickens themselves and just, you know, get behind their necks, get down their backs, under their wings, around the vent area, um, just really kind of get it, get it all in there, follow the directions on whatever, whatever product that you're using, and, you know, then wait 10 days and do it again. And you also need to clean the coop, clean the coop, wait 10 days, clean the coop again. <laughs> I know that that's awful, <laughs> but we all have dealt with it at some point almost all of us. Like, I mean, I think especially if your chickens are in a uh, enclosed run and you live like in the city where there's just, 
they're in that same area, then you're more likely to deal with parasites. And parasites will really come out in the in the fall. That's like that's when they're molting. When chickens are molting, that's when you really have to keep an eye on parasites. Okay. I talked about that for a long time. (laughs) I hope that helped. Emma Campbell asks, should I cover my coop in some tarps? Just as long as you still have some good ventilation, you can insulate your coop. But you want to make sure that you still have good insulation. Oh, Jay Woods asks the question that I don't want to answer, (laughs) but I'm going to. How do you feel about putting collars on roosters to quiet the crowing? I, you know, this is another situation where people have really strong feelings about it, but I think that, you know, it's just not a black and white answer. Like a lot of roosters get abandoned every year. People take in here. I used to volunteer with the Humane Society, so I would hear the stories like people would literally go out into the woods and dump out their roosters you know, and they might do okay, but they're going to end up something's meal, you know, and depending on the type of rooster it is, they are domesticated animals. And some of them are pretty far from their wild roots. And so they, they won't do as well. Now there's, there's chickens that, I mean, if you go to Kauai, uh, you know, it's like chicken Island with a whole bunch of wild chickens, but they're breeds that are just kind of more on the wild side. You can tell it's more kind of like a, uh, kind of like a jungle fowlish kind of breeds. They're, they're smaller, they're lighter. Uh, they're really good foragers. They're not like these, you know, heavy, super domesticated hatchery chickens that a lot of us have. So because I see that, I see a lot of abandonment And because there are situations where it's like, it's probably better for the rooster to stay where he is, you know, rather than going somewhere else where he, he might not have a great life or, you know, if you really don't want him to get eaten, he might get eaten, you know, all this stuff. Then I think there are situations where it's okay. And I do know somebody who, absolutely loves animals so much. This person is vegan. (laughs) She has, and she's always been like that. Like I've known her ever since she was a kid and she's always been that way. She loves animals and she has a rooster that wears a, a crow collar. And he's a little silky. And and I think, I can't remember. I think it might have a little bow tie on it or something. And it doesn't stop them from crowing. Like some people think it stops them completely. It'll just quiet them down. And it seems like they do get used to it, but it probably depends on the rooster because there's probably some roosters that just won't tolerate it. And of course you have to do it right. You have to follow directions, all that stuff. So my answer is it depends. (laughs) That's my answer. All right. Uh, Lori Anderson has a, I don't know. I'm not answering it. I don't completely know the answer, but I think it does stop. So Lori uh, Nellison asked, 
will caponizing a rooster stop him from crowing? And that's basically like neutering a rooster. Um, it's a practice that's not really done, uh, at least not in the United States, not done. It's kind of fell out of favor. Um, it used to be done a lot. People would do it and then actually eat the roosters. And I guess it would uh, make them taste a certain way or whatever. I don't <laughs> okay. And then so Chickenlandia presidential advisor answered and she said, in some cases, yes, but it's not 100%. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I just didn't know for sure. Okay, Lori Anderson asks, uh, will the cold kill parasites? That is a very good question. And I think a lot of people get really relaxed in the winter because they just don't see the mites and lice. And so they figure they must be gone. They must be dead. But what can happen is they can hibernate. They can hibernate in the coop. They can hibernate on your chickens. And once the temperatures get warmer, they will crawl out and say, I'm still here. So this is what I want you to do. Even in the winter, make sure your chickens have a place to dust bathe. So uh, what I do, because, you know, obviously in the winter, um, it's rainy, it's snowy, it's cold, the, the ground is frozen. So they, they don't really have a place in their natural environment, depending on where you live, where they can take a dust bath. So I recommend making a dust bath for them. You can use like a kitty litter box. You can use a, like a big um, a pot, you know, for, for a, a plant or whatever container that you can find where you can put some dirt and maybe some diatomaceous earth, maybe a little bit of wood ash. And I do, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I do have a video all about making your own dust bath for your chickens, a D, do, DIY dust bath for your chickens. So I will post that in the description and in the show notes, but you want to make sure that they have access to that no matter what time of year it is, because you just want them to have that added bit of protection so that you're not dealing with a worse problem once the temperatures get warmer. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Wow, we almost went 50 minutes. That's a long time. <laughs> But thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you to the moderators. I think we just had Chickenlandia presidential advisor today. Thank you so much. And she also has helped me to produce this episode. I also want to thank Talking to Crows for editing this podcast and to Double M Ranch for their wonderful and beautiful podcast art. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please remember to rate and review it. But most of all, I want you to remember that you are always welcome in Chickenlandia. Bye! Dahlia Monterosso, also known as the president of Chickenlandia, is a backyard chicken educator in Northwest Washington. To submit your question to Bok Talk, visit welcometochickenlandia.com. We'll see you next time! Bye-bye!